Hello, and welcome to The Key Podcast, where we talk about theology in every season of life. I'm your host, Sarah Evans, and together we're asking, if Christ is the key to everything, then what are the questions that we get to ask and the things we get to discover? Every fortnight, we discuss systematic theology in bite-sized portions, and along the way, together, we're learning to see and know God in every season of life, whether we're in the spotlight, on the edge, or simply being faithful in the mundane. I'm so excited to have you with us. Let's get started. Hi, everyone, um, and welcome back to another episode here at The Key Podcast. I realized that the last several episodes, I think I have started with a kind of apology for uh, my lack of consistency, and I was about to do that as I'm recording this episode and then realized, you know, that's probably a little repetitive for you all, and also, I don't need to keep apologizing because, one, you all are super understanding. Um, many of you have been with me since I started this a little over a year ago, um, and you know about the many uh, kind of ups and downs and transitions that we have been through as a family and can imagine how that has impacted my ability to keep up with this. And um, for those of you who don't know, I actually... Um, started just over a year ago doing this podcast and I, I am really, really enjoying it. And yet my family has just completed our fourth move in less than two years. And in a couple of weeks, we will be embarking on our fifth move um, in less than two years. So we have just had a wild season. We've also added uh, another member of our family. We had a baby just about a year ago. Um, it'll be a year ago uh, this week. And it has just been an up and down crazy season for us. And so I have not been consistent. I'm hoping, of course, that that continues to improve. And I am really grateful that many of you are sticking with me along the way, despite the fact that that has not been the case. So Today, um, all of that aside, I'm going to be talking about the image of God. Um, so we're doing a little series here on humanity. What is humanity? What does it mean to be human? Right? So last time I talked about human constitution, those couple of different views on uh, what makes up a human. What are the kind of pieces or parts or aspects of being a human? Today, um, I'm going to talk about the image of God, or you may have heard the phrase Imago Dei or Imago Dei. Um, and I'm going to be talking about some different views of what is entailed by the image of God. Um, and also I'll be talking then about some implications of each of those views and kind of giving, um, I guess, kind of my own proposal for uh, what we might think the image of God entails, uh, but it is not necessarily a new or novel idea. So don't get your hopes up too much. All right. With that being said, um, let's get started. So the image of God is first talked about in the Genesis accounts of creation, right? Uh, there God says, let us make humanity and let us make them in our image. Uh, there are a wide variety of ways of interpreting that description. One of the problems of coming to a kind of final conclusion on what is the image of God, of course, is that it's not mentioned very frequently in scripture. So it's mentioned there in the Genesis accounts in Genesis uh, 2, as 
God is creating the universe. It's mentioned again in Genesis 9, where God says um, that the penalty for murder is death because we aren't to kill someone who is made in his image, who bears the image of God. Um, And then it's mentioned a couple of other times um, sporadically throughout scripture, but never is it mentioned with a clear delineation of what is meant by that term. And it's not mentioned frequently enough that we can draw like really elaborate conclusions regarding what is entailed by um, the image of God. Of course, I say that about not having elaborate conclusions, and I'm going to describe some of what those conclusions are. Um, So maybe elaborate's not the right word. We can't have like really firm, definitive views that we can back up by saying, well, this verse says this, and that's where I get this very clear definition. So we can have ideas about what we think it means, but I think this is one of those things we have to hold somewhat loosely, to be honest. And along with holding it somewhat loosely, um, we need to have grace for those who hold a different view than we do, right, about what is entailed by the image of God. And then because it's not talked about prevalently in scripture, though it is a really important piece of human identity, we um, can, I think, have some views that are informed by more than just scripture, right? So we want to take scripture as our starting point, but we can also talk about this theologically and philosophically. We can talk about it practically and functionally, like what are the things that we observe that seem to be common to human beings? Um, And we can do that, I think, because we don't have this super didactic teaching in scripture, right? So we're not contradicting scripture by doing that kind of activity of exploring these ideas philosophically. And I think we need to explore those ideas philosophically, pragmatically, functionally, um, because this is such an important thing in scripture, right? There's a reason that Christ comes to his people. There's a reason that God wants to save human beings from themselves, from their sin, is because we bear the image of God. There is something unique about us, something distinctive about humanity as creatures, right? So God, of course, cares about all of creation. Um, I think we can see that very clearly throughout scripture. God is angry when Israel abuses the land. Um, He talks about how the earth cries out um, when Cain kills Abel, right? The earth cries out to me about what you have done. Um, In Romans, Paul says that the earth is groaning and awaiting its redemption. And so we aren't trying to be anthrocentric here and suggest that we are the only thing which matters in all of creation. But the image of God is an important reminder that humanity is significant and distinctive from the rest of creation in a particular manner. And it's because God puts his image in us. So that's a little bit of background on why this is important um, and how we kind of get to some of these ideas. Now let's talk about what are some of the different views. I'm going to talk about um, four different views. Well, really five, but one of them, two of them are kind of being lumped together in one category. So we're going to talk about four different views, and then I'm going to talk about some of the implications for those views. Um, What does this mean pragmatically, like on the ground for us and functionally? Um, And then, like I said, I'll kind of give a little bit of a proposal and some things to keep in mind and whatnot. So the first view is probably one of the oldest 
um, if not the oldest. Um, there's the substantive or structural view. I'm going to lump those two together, although they actually are um, distinct in certain ways. So there's the structural view, which is the idea that um, humanity like walks upright. There's something within us that is, you know, divine and looking upwards. Um, the idea that we bear almost like a physical resemblance to God. This isn't to say that, you know, those who held to a structural view thought that God um, as the Trinity has a body, but the idea that like we have a body, we walk upright, um, our eyes are looking forward and up is this idea of then we are supposed to be morally upright and we are supposed to be looking towards God, looking towards him in relationship. That structural view is kind of um, not like very common, um, even in the early church, but it is there. It is kind of similar to this substantive view because the substantive view is that there's something um, just within us, just a kind of aspect of who we are that is in God's image. And it's the idea that um, this is something which is immaterial. It's often related to our rational faculties. So you could see how that is similar to the structural idea of because we walk upright, we're supposed to be morally upright like God is. Um, Because our eyes look towards the heaven, we are supposed to be like God. Um, Those are kind of immaterial ideas, moral uprightness, looking towards God. Um, But the substantive view is going to focus much more on like rational faculties. Um, It might also focus on something like the soul, right? The immaterial soul, um, which is like God, who is spiritual or who is spiritual, excuse me, who is spirit. Um, He's not spiritual, like some kind of, you know, new age guru. Um, (laughs) But God is spirit. And we can say that is an, you know, another kind of corollary with the structural view. If it's something about like who we are physically or spiritually, we have an immaterial soul that is related to God who is spirit, right? So there's a little bit of correlation between those two. But um, the structural view isn't really held today, whereas the substantive view is held by um, a lot of theologians, uh, notably like Millard Erickson holds this view, that there's something substantial in us some kind of attribute or set of attributes which reflect who God is, um, which in a sense borrow from who God is, right? So we have God is wise, God is all-knowing, um, we are able to know, right? We have rationality, we have reason, we have will and volition. Um, but uh, there are different ways even within the substantive camp of interpreting, well, which characteristics, which attributes that humanity has are uh, the image of God, which ones really do reflect what it means to be in God's image. Um, Some early kind of proponents of that would be uh, like Irenaeus and Augustine. Um, And like say, there are, of course, still modern proponents as well. Then we have this other view um, called the functional view. This view... um, is the idea that humanity is um, given a task. We have work to do. We're supposed to rule over creation in the same way that God rules over creation, not in the same way in terms of like quantity um, or scope, but in the same fashion, right? God cares for his creation. We too are to care for, to nurture creation, right? There's a little bit more of like a focus here on human enterprise, human ability, human um, things that we are doing, right? 
creativity, right? Making things, um, whether the making is planting crops or it's carving a beautiful um, instrument, right? Or it's making a rocking chair or it's designing a building or what have you, right? So there's a real focus here on the things that humanity does. There is also this idea that we are representing God through those things that we do, through caring for creation, through um, kind of growing and expanding, cultivating, uh, making, etc. And that's a functional view. That um, is really common in like the Dutch Reformed camp. Um, so someone like Helmut Tielicke would uh, advocate for this. Um, I think Kuiper also advocated for this view. Um, G.C. Berkauer, um, these are individuals who really um, support the functional view. And it's really drawn out of that early passage in Genesis where God creates humanity and then puts them in the garden to tend to the garden, to work in the garden. Um, there's something really beautiful here as it shows that work is not um, antithetical. Um, to who we are. And in fact, work is something good. Work can be something righteous and holy. It's not just a result of the curse or a fall and sin. Um, And there is something that humanity is to be doing and that by doing these things, we are participating in God's ongoing work of sustaining the universe and caring for it, right? So there's something really lovely there. I do really appreciate that idea of participating in God's work simply by virtue of who we are. So that's the functional view. And then we have this view um, that is the relational view. I would say this is much more... um, modern for for the most part. I don't know of theologians really prior to um, prior to the 19th century who have th- thought in these terms. Um, Stanley Grenz uh, was a pretty recent theologian who uh, really focused on the relational view of the image of God. Um, you also have the Eastern theologian John Zizioulas and Karl Barth, I think, um, also advocated a relational view of the image of God. So this is kind of an easy one to define. It means that we are created to be in relationship. There are two types of relationships that we were really uh, created to be uh, engaged with. There's the vertical relationship, we might say. That's our relationship with God. I don't necessarily love the language of vertical because it suggests that like God is floating around up there somewhere up you know, in the Empyrean. Um, And that's not necessarily a helpful view because it's not like God is just a thing floating out in space. Um, But what have you, there's the vertical relationship, what we have with uh, God between um, us as individuals, but also our communities and God as well. And then um, there is also the horizontal relationship, the relationships that we have with one another, right? We can see this early on in scripture because God says about Adam that it's not good for him to be alone. Uh, And so there's this focus that as a part of being in the image of God, we only flesh that out when we are together, when we are in holy, harmonious relationship with one another. Um, there's also the idea that by being in relationship, we are reflecting the Trinity because God himself is community, right? God exists as Father, Son, and Spirit, or the you know three people of the Trinity in perfect 
uh, loving, ongoing, eternal communion, right? And so if we are made in the image of God, then we also are made to be in community, to be in relationship. And we can see this um, kind of in the larger scope of scripture, as we see that Christ comes to uh, restore our relationship with him, with the Father, through the Spirit, right? And we can see this um, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, where Christ prays that we would be one in the church, just as he and the Father are one, just as they are united, right? So there is this real emphasis on not just a like shallow, enjoyable community, but something that is deep and rich and rooted and even entangled in a really healthy way, of course, that we are mutually interdependent upon one another and ultimately dependent upon God, right? So I think, again, there is something really good and really significant and really beautiful with that view of the, of, uh, the image of God, um, and especially as it is based on this perception of the Trinity, um, this focus on both the threeness, three persons, but their oneness, their community, their uh, interrelationality with one another. Um, and then we have this final view. This is a little bit more um, modern, I think we might say. The main proponent that I know of for this view is Michael Bird, who I have referenced a couple of other times on the podcast. Um, he's a biblical scholar out of Australia um, who also writes systematic theology um, from a biblical New Testament scholarly perspective. Um, he's really great. Anyways, this view is um, what we might call the royal view. And the idea here is really based in ancient Near Eastern practices. Um, and so it's looking at those culturally and then saying, what does that suggest to us about what is going on in the Genesis accounts? So in ancient Near Eastern culture, when you had um, a king who's ruling over a vast land area, he... Um, <sighs> or I suppose she in rare instances, but he would erect statues of himself in areas where he wasn't physically present all of the time, right? This would be especially true uh, in the case of someone who is ruling over a conquered territory, an area um, whose inhabitants weren't necessarily his people. And so he would have a statue put up that was supposed to represent him and it represent his reign, it represent his power, his authority there. And in a sense, it also represented his presence, right? Almost as if his presence was being diffused by this. Not literally, of course, ancient people were not... Um, they weren't like mixing up, ooh, this statue is actually the king over there. Um, but the idea that whoever was um, in authority was operating under his authority because his statue is there representing his presence, his rulership, his authority, his governance over the area, right? And the, those would be called icons, right? Another word for that would be icons or images. And so when we look at Genesis then, if we say that God um, is making humanity in his image, they are his icons, they are his representatives, um, then there is the sense in which they are rulers under God, right? They are sub-rulers. Um, they're meant to represent both God's um, rulership, his stewardship, his governance, and also God's character, God's personal relational presence, 
to those who are around them. Um, and they have that kind of authority, jurisdiction, and um, in a sense, that kind of power. Of course, it's always a uh, derived authority and power um, that humans are supposed to be having. Just like any ruler who would have been underneath a king, his power was also derivative. Um, I like this view in that it really kind of fits with the ancient Near Eastern culture and perspective and understanding of the world. Um, And it, it does do a good job of drawing together some other aspects, I think, from views that I've discussed previously, right? The functional view that there's something we're supposed to be doing. Um, And even the relational view that there is something in relationship. We have a derived relationship um, with God, right? We are um, from him. We are his people. We derive our authority and our power from him. It's not the same authority and power that he possesses. Um, And those things only come through a relationship. And then we have relationships with those who are around us and we're to act in particular ways as we represent God. So I think it kind of draws together some things really nicely. Um, But again, you know, it's not perfect um, as none of the views are perfect, right? Going back to what I said earlier, scripture never really actually explains all of this, and yet it does place a good deal of weight on it. Um, I had a professor in seminary who would talk about it being sort of like this rod or this rail, like a train rail running through scripture. Um, even though it's never, you know, really explicitly defined. And so it's really important. Um, I think based on all of this, that I, I would ascribe to what we might call an eclectic view. Does that make, um, hopefully that makes sense to you. Um, so I would really draw on things from each perspective that I've presented. Um, I would say, I think of the image as being something more like a calling on our lives, a calling on us as humanity. That is something that is implanted within each of us when God creates us, right? When he knits us together in our mother's wombs, uh, when we are brought into existence, there's a sort of commissioning, a calling on our lives. A lot of times today we think of calling and we think of a particular vocation. And I think that that can be one expression or one um, kind of uh, way in which a calling is manifested. But really, I think this is a calling in terms of identity of who we are to be in Christ. And I think that the image is not so much in us, but it's something external to us. God says, let us make humanity in our image. We are in God's image. We are in him, right? And those of us who are believers, we are hidden in Christ. So we are in him. It's external to us. It's not something that's in us. Um, It's not like you could dissect a human being and find there's the image of God. Just in the same way you can't dissect a human being and find, you know, here's the soul. Um, Anyway, so I think that there's something that we are called to participate in and called to become and grow towards, right? I um, think that really helpfully draws then these different things together. There's the relational aspect, right? That who we are called to be is to be in harmony and in relationship with one another and also with God. There is... um, the like substantive view of like our attributes 
And those are particular ways in which the image is then manifested, right? People who are remarkably intellectual and conceptual thinkers, um, theorists, right? People who do like theoretical physics. That is a way in which the image is being worked out or being enfleshed. Um, someone like my husband, who is a carpenter and a builder who sketches um, and is a musician, right? Who loves to create in that particular way. Um, that is a way that the image takes on flesh through his actions. My eldest daughter has a friend who is really playful and um, mischievous, and she has this vivacity and vibrancy to her. Um, and I love watching her interact with others, and I love watching them interact with her because there's this real delight and playfulness. And that is such an incredible uh example of how the attribute of relationality is putting flesh on the image of God. And it's so important for us to remember that the image of God is embodied in so many ways because each person is unique, right? God creates uniquely with each new person that he brings into the world. And then, of course, this lines up with that royal view as we consider the ways in which we each represent God, um, that we are displaying him to creation and to one another in unique, uh, distinct ways as we are distinct people. All right, friends. I'm looking at the clock here and it has already been uh, about 25 minutes. Um, so I am going to actually sign off. Next time, I will talk about some different implications for each of these views, both in how um, they get fleshed out and how we um, might consider our interactions with one another and with other humans um, in terms of the different aspects of these views. And then I'm going to um, probably wrap up that next episode with talking about what does this mean when we look at Christ? Because um, I think that is a really important question for us to consider Christ being um the incarnate one, the God-man, uh, the one who shows us what it really is to be human and also who God really is. So what does that um, mean for this conversation about being in the image of God? I hope that those couple of views um, that I've presented are helpful. And I just want to affirm that all of those views really are within the bounds of orthodoxy, right? So whether we think that the image of God is something in us, like our rational capacity or we think it's our relational um, inner workings amongst one another and with God, or we think it's a functional thing, right, that we're called to steward um, and to care for and to carry out certain tasks, or we think it's a, a more of a royal view or an eclectic view, which brings together um, the different aspects of each of these. Those are all within the bounds of orthodoxy, and those are all things that different intelligent people ascribe to. And so wherever you find yourself landing on that spectrum, it's probably okay. Um, but of course, as always, if you have any questions, feel free to flick me an email. Um, I love hearing from you. And the easiest way to do that is to go to my website, thekeypodcast.org. Um, and there is a contact form on there. So if you need clarification or you have um, a pressing question about this or just something that you're looking for more info on, definitely feel free to get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. All right, friends. I thank God for each of you. And I do pray for you all. Um, as I prepare for this podcast and close it out with recording each week. I'm thankful for all of you um, and for your faithfulness and your patience and listening um, to all of my many ramblings here. Have a great week.
Friends, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of The Key. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review. It really helps others to find the podcast. And that's actually the goal, to share the gospel and make theological education available for the benefit of the church in every season. If you want to get in touch, head on over to the website, thekeypodcast.org. You can also check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash thekeypodcast. There you'll find exclusive episodes, a book club, and materials for members. Also, I really love hearing from listeners, so please sing out and get in touch if you want. Until next time, God's grace and peace to each of you.